Our scripture reading today is from the revelation given to John, chapter 22, verses 6 to 21. Before we read this, let us pause for a moment in prayer. Good and heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you have given us your revealed word. Lord, spoken to the saints and to the prophets, written down, passed down through the ages, taught and revered. So, Lord, that we might understand truth, that we may understand the way to go and the path that you have made for us, that we might know the glories and the promises of your Son, Jesus Christ. But, Father, we cannot understand any of these things without that same Spirit that led these words to be written, that they would lead us in our hearts right now. So, Father, I pray that spirit of illumination, that spirit of wisdom, that spirit of knowledge, a spirit of understanding would be breathed upon us all here as we read, as we hear, so we may understand. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the revelation given to John, chapter 22, verses 6 to 21. Listen now to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they have the right to the tree of life, that they may enter the city by the gates." Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take of the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> so when I was in um, high school, I hung out with what you could call an irreverent group of people. That's being kind. Um, you, you probably knew the type. We were, we were the heavy metal fans. We were the metal heads, you know, wore black, listened to Metallica and Guns N' Roses and Motley Crue and grew our hair. Well, everyone else grew their hair long. I wasn't allowed to. We're not talking about that today. We've already, we've already talked about that another time. But yeah, you could say we were a pretty irreverent group and we kind of had fun doing irreverent things and saying irreverent things, things that would shock other people. But one day when we were riding the bus home, <clears throat> one of our crowd did something more irreverent than any of us had ever done before. His name was Tony, and he was on the back of the bus, and he had a Gideon's New Testament. And he started tearing the pages out of the Bible. Now, like I said, we were an irreverent group, but there was a silence that kind of passed between us. We were kind of looking at each other out of the corner of our eyes. Nobody was laughing. We thought, I think Tony might have gone too far. Now, this was too much, even for us. And I remember watching him tear the pages out, and there was something thinking. I was thinking that I think there's a curse somewhere for people who deface the Bible like this. So I went home, I got to Revelation, I turned to the very back, and yes, there it was. If anyone takes from the words of this prophecy, I will take from them their share in the tree of life. I thought, well, that's it for Tony. Well, I never liked them much anyway, so, you know, things happen. But. No, but as I've grown up, I've, I have a different understanding of what that word means, that to take away from the words of this prophecy or add to them. He wasn't talking about really ripping the pages out of the book itself physically. He was talking about adding content to the prophecy, adding something that's not there putting your own spin or a whole new invention onto Revelation. Like let's say after the trumpets, God's going to start ringing the seven wind chimes. That's not there. You're adding something to Revelation. Or you're taking something out, saying, well, the trumpets aren't going to get blown or the bowls of anger aren't going to happen. That's what he means by adding to or taking from the words of this prophecy. Also have another perspective about what it means to honor the word of God and to honor not only the Bible, but this last book of Revelation. And yes, we should always treat our Bibles reverently and treat them with respect because this is the written word of God. And to respect this word is to show respect to God. But the real way to honor the Bible, the real way to honor every book in here is to obey what it says. And that is how we show true reverence and honor to the word of God. And what John here said at the end, blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy. He gives us his blessing for those who will keep the words of this prophecy. What he's telling us to do is this book here, this very last chapter, the very last book of the Bible says, keep this book, Revelation, this revelation I'm giving you, this prophecy that God has given me and I'm passing on to you, keep and honor it. Make this book important in your life. Make this prophecy an important part of your faith. What he's asking us to do is to be Revelation Christians. Now, how exactly we're going to be a Revelation Christians, well, that 
is a matter of great debate and how we honor and keep the words of this prophecy is a lot of the reasons that divide one denomination from the other. We have very different opinions and very different thoughts about how we're supposed to keep and honor the words of this prophecy. But however you do it, one thing is very clear about keeping and honoring the words of this prophecy is that central to this book is a promise. Well, no, promise actually might be too light of a term. It's a guarantee. A guarantee that Christ will return. And so to honor and to keep the words of the prophecy of the book is to believe and to live as if Christ is going to return. Because Jesus said he is going to return. And so we believe him. We should believe that promise as well. That's a promise he gives us right here at the, at the beginning of this, this, the reading that we had today. He says, Behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words and the prophecies of this book. That's what the book is about, is about the return of Christ. It's about our Lord coming again to this earth. And so to keep the words of the prophecy of this book is to wait faithfully for his return. In fact, you could go so far as to say that is what defines our life as Christians. Is how we are waiting for the return of our Lord. In what manner and in what way do we wait for the return of Christ? And one thing he says about his return <clears throat> over and over again he says, I'm coming soon. In this little brief chapter here at the end, four times Jesus says, I am coming soon. And it's not just in Revelation he says it. He says it all over the Gospels. He talks parables that he taught about him coming soon. Our other New Testament writers, Paul and Peter, they also wrote about Christ coming soon. Now I know that there is a maybe the little skeptic inside of us or the skeptic among us. When we hear those words that Jesus is coming soon, we're going to think, okay, <clears throat> this book was written about 90 A.D. Okay, and we're sitting at 2021 A.D. And I'm no good at math, but, you know, we're getting close to 2,000 years. That's a long time ago. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, I'm coming soon. We're still waiting. Is there something wrong? with Are we understanding this wrong? I mean, we know Jesus isn't wrong. So what could that mean, I'm coming soon, when he said that 2,000 years ago? <clears throat> now, the beauty of the phrase, I'm coming soon, and the word soon, there is this beauty to it because soon is a relative term. All right, Soon means different things to different people. Soon means different things at different times to the exact same people. Let me give you an example. Uh, my kids will ask, Dad, when are we going to go to the pool? And I'll say, we're going soon. Now, what do I mean when I say we're going soon? What I mean by, there's certain things that I've got to get done this day. And the pool is not far into that. You know, about maybe the middle, middle beginning. But before we can do that, I've got to get these certain things done. That's what I mean by soon. 
There's a lot to get done, and in the order of the things to get done, the pool is fairly early in that. That's what I mean by soon. Could be five minutes, could be 30, could be an hour and a half. I don't know. All I know is we're going soon. Now, what do my kids hear when I say we're going soon? What they hear is, I'm going to put my bathing suit on, I'm going to wrap my towel around my neck, and I'm going to just stare at you. So is it ready now? We going now? I mean, you said soon, so now? Are we going now? How about now? Is it time now? When are we going to the pool? We're going to go right now, right? You get the picture. I'll give you another example. You might ask me, Rob, when is your sermon going to be over? Soon. And I know that soon means something different up here than it does to you down there. I'm going to tell you something you might not know. Time flies up here. It really does. But I know time doesn't fly down there. That's why we have a clock on the back wall. Because soon is a relative term. Now God said, I am coming soon. God is eternal. He's an eternal being. Time has no effect on him whatsoever. So let me ask you this. What is soon to God? Your guess is as good as mine. But I can guarantee you soon is not, his soon is not the same thing as our soon. However, I do want you to keep this in mind. When God said, I am coming soon, he knew exactly how we would take those words. We would put our bathing suits on with our towel. All right, God, you said soon, you're coming now? Now? How about now? You said soon. Is it soon now? Is it ready? We ready yet? How about now? We coming now? Okay. You see, that's how we take soon. When God said soon, he knew that we would expect it in our lifetime. And everybody, everybody, from the moment he spoke those words to today, has expected soon to mean in my lifetime. Now, why would God tell us that if he knew that is how we would interpret his words? Well, I think the answer is quite obvious. That's how he wants us to live. He wants each and every one of us to live as if Christ is coming back soon. He wants to live our lives in such a way that we're expecting Christ back any minute. That at any moment in our lives, starting from now to the very end, at any moment we could be called to account for the way that we live our lives. Christ is coming back soon i think this is clearly a key ingredient in godly living is that we need to live as if christ could return any moment that we need to always be ready for christ to come back into our lives in visible and tangible ways jesus told a parable about this about uh, two sets of servants both of them, their master had gone on a long journey and they did not know when to expect them. And the first set of servants thought, master's not going to be back for a long time. Let's have a great time. So they broke into the cellar. They got drunk. They started beating up on one another. The house was in shambles. So when the master came back to the house, you can imagine he was very, very disappointed. The other group of servants, they didn't know when their master was going to come back, but they were going to be ready to expect him at any moment. So they kept to their jobs, they kept to their task, and when his master returned, the house was in good order, and that servant was duly 
rewarded for his faithfulness. And Christ asks us to do the very same thing. <clears throat> if we think Jesus is a long time in coming, you know what's going to happen. Human nature is going to kick in. We're going to get slack. We're going to do things our way, thinking, oh, we got plenty of time for that. Jesus isn't coming back for a very, very long time. On the other hand, when we know somebody important is coming, we do our work hard, right? Like when the CEO comes to visit, everybody in the office works like they never have before. You know it's the true. You know it's the case. You, you dress according to the dress code like you're supposed to. You show up to work on time, and you're getting real busy because you want the boss to think that you're hard at work. That's how God wants us to live all the time. Live our lives as if the boss could walk into our life at any minute. See, that's the point of this prophecy that the Lord has given us. He didn't give us revelation so that we could figure out all the details and know exactly how the end is going to go down. He didn't give us this prophecy so we could try to guess the year and the date is going to happen. He didn't give us this prophecy so we could get the name of the beast before he shows up here on earth. And he certainly didn't give it to us so we can figure out who's in and who's out, who's going to get the mark and who's going to last to the end. He's given us this prophecy so we could be ready. He's given us this prophecy so we could have something to look for, something to prepare for, and something to hope for. That's how we get ready for Christ. Something to look for, something to prepare for, and something to hope for. That's what this prophecy wants you to do. Believe and live as if Jesus will return soon. Look for him, prepare for him, and hope for him. So the first thing we have to do if we're really waiting for Christ to return is look for Christ to return. Now, the best way I can um, explain how we do that is, is don't get lost in the world. I mean, does that make sense? When we can get so lost, we can get so focused on, on like the busyness of our life, on just these details of living, and they can consume us so easily. They can come to us with such urgency. You know, oh, I've got to pick up the kids. Oh, I've got to worry about paying this bill. I've got this interview next month. We've got the vacation we've got to take care of. Uh, we've got to clean the basement up. The roof needs repair. Just all these things, all this, this busyness in the life, we can just get lost in it. Oh, we've got stuff going on in China. The economy's doing terrible. Who knows what's going up in Washington, going crazy up there. It's just wrapped up in the world. We get lost in it. And when we get lost in that, we're no longer looking at what God is doing in our life. We're not looking for Christ to return. We're getting distracted. But to look for Christ to return is to keep our focus on heaven. To keep our true focus on the work of God, not on our present troubles or sometimes even our present pleasures. That get us lost, wrapped up in the world. So we have to look for Christ. We also have to prepare for the return of Christ. And that's the big part of this is preparing for the return of Christ. Now it says that we're waiting for Christ to return. And when you hear waiting, we think of waiting as being a completely passive activity. 
like we're waiting at the DMV or we're waiting at the doctor's office. And when we're waiting there, we're just sitting and we're just trying to distract ourselves, just thinking, man, when is my time going to come? I'm so bored. I can't wait to go do something else. I'm just sitting here waiting. But the kind of waiting that God asks of us is not a passive waiting. It's an active waiting. It's not like waiting in a doctor's office or the DMV. This is like waiting for an important guest to arrive at your house. And if you know when an important guest is arriving at your house, this is not passive waiting. It is very active waiting. Because what do we all do when someone important is coming to our house? We clean up. We clean up a lot, and we clean up in a big hurry. And then when they show up, we try to make it look like what we've done is, is actually the normal, you know? Sorry about the mess. Jeff Foxworthy once said what we should really tell people when they come over is, I hope you like it. I haven't been this clean in 10 years. <laughs> but not only do we, do we get it clean, but if, if, if we're waiting, if the, the guest is delayed, we, we stay clean, right? Pick those socks up. Somebody's coming over. Don't put your socks on. Why is that cup sitting there? Somebody big has come on. We got to stay clean. Got to keep it clean. So is your house ready for Jesus? When I talk about your house, I'm talking about your life. Is your house ready for Jesus? Are you living a life of holiness? Are you being dutiful and proclaiming the gospel with your life? Is there someone that you need to forgive so you don't have a grudge in your life? Is there someone that you need to ask forgiveness for? Are you being a good steward of your resources? If Jesus came today, this moment into your life, how could you give an account for the time and the resources that God has given you so far? That's preparing for the return of Christ. But there's another side of preparing for the return of Christ. That's preparing for what is going to come. Revelation has been very clear. Our faith is going to be tested. Our faith is going to be tried. We will be tempted by the world. We will be threatened. Some of us will be thrown in prison. Some of us will be killed for the word of God. Are you ready for that kind of pressure? Is your faith ready to hold up to that kind of pressure and to that kind of temptation? Do you have the endurance now to withstand the power of the whole world coming down on you? This is where we train ourselves. Paul says we train ourselves like an athlete ready to run a race. Now is the day that we build our faith. Now is the day that we study. Now is the day we do good works. Now is the day that we discipline our lives through prayer and spiritual disciplines. Now is the time to prepare for what is to come. So Revelation gives us something to look for, something to prepare for. But what it really does gives us something to hope for. And that's where I find the real beauty and the power of this book. Is it gives every single one of us something that we can hope for. Yes, it warns us of dark times. Yes, it tells us it's going to get real bad around here. But it reminds us that Christ will have the final victory. That is our reason to hope. That is our reason that we can be hopeful people and we can always be hopeful people. 
And being hopeful people is more than an attitude. It's not just being optimistic. Being hopeful means that we have a light inside of us. We have a joy inside of us. We have a peace and we have a strength that we take with us everywhere that we go. And this hope is our source of strength. This is why we can forgive people who harm us. Because we hope in a world where all of our pain is going to be healed. This is how we can love people who hate us. Because we hope in a promise that one day the whole world will be united in Christ. It's how we can endure through suffering. Because we hope for a reward for our endurance. It's how we can be good when evil tempts us in the world. Because we have the hope that love and goodness will win in the end. This is how we can face death with courage. Because we hope in everlasting life. This is how we can let our light shine even when the hour is darkest. Because we hope in the coming dawn that will remove night forever. To wait for Christ is to hope in Christ. At the beginning of the series, I told you this was a difficult book. It's a difficult book, but it actually has a very simple meaning. Jesus wins. That is the meaning of the book. And if that's all you get out of this book, Jesus wins then that's enough. If that's all you understand, then the message has gotten across. And there are people who have studied this book for years, and they have yet to understand this simple and central message that Jesus wins. And if we want to live as God's people, that means we don't just take the name of our Lord. But if we want to live as citizens, in the, citizens of the city of God, we must live as people waiting for the return of our Lord. And we must live knowing that it is not by our hand that the world is going to be made right. It's only by the hand of Christ. And that all that we do in this life, all the good works, all the worship, all the charity, all of that, we don't do it with the misguided faith that we can somehow make the world perfect. But all that we do is an anticipation of the return and the victory of our Lord. To be followers of Christ is to keep the words of this prophecy. In everything we do, as we work, as we live, as we marry and build, as we have children, as we bury loved ones, as we worship, as we play, as we rest, in everything we do, we look for the return of our Lord. We prepare for the return of our Lord. And we place all of our hope in the promise that our Lord will return one day and make all things new. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.